Well, good morning. Our text this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. It was the third scripture lesson this morning. Our, our focus will be on the parable in chapter 20, 1 through 16, although I added a little bit of context to the scripture reading. Let's, as we begin, let's open with prayer. Father in heaven, we know that everything that happens here this morning is completely useless apart from your Spirit. And so we ask you to be here working in and through this um, uh, message preached. I pray, Father, that you uh, would drive your word deep into our hearts, helping us to feast upon it and being doers of it rather than only hearers. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bitterness or resentment will suck all your joy away. Like a leech, it will eventually leave you lifeless and unable to resemble anything that God made you to be. If you have ever met a bitter person, maybe you've been one yourself, maybe this is something you struggle with and you are one currently, then you know how detrimental it can be to a person's well-being. To a person's well-being. It removes joy, comfort, peace. It quite literally can eat you alive. And sometimes due to our selfishness and covetousness or envy, we end up resenting God for blessing other people in a way that he hasn't blessed us. Some resent God for having mercy on people who they don't think deserve it. As if they themselves deserved it. Sometimes we get angry that God is sovereign and in control of who He disperses what blessing to. Sometimes we get caught up in the details and we let the bitterness move our eyes from the actual blessings God has given us to only the suffering or the trial that we are or have experienced. Bitterness removes our gratitude, which in turn makes us resentful towards God And what we will learn from this parable this morning is this, that there is no limit to God's generosity to sinners. There is no limit to God's generosity to sinners. And if God has been generous to you, then how could you possibly begrudge His generosity to others? And so first, this morning, I will walk us through the parable, interpret it, give some illustrations and then I will have three points of application, which are these. In the kingdom, we must not covet, be proud, or resentful. Covet, be proud, or resentful. So as we begin, let's consider uh, our parable. This text in the Gospel of Matthew is given to us in order to flesh out and explain that somewhat tricky or intimidating phrase, the last will be first, and the first will be last. In this section of Matthew, beginning around chapter 19, Jesus is teaching on issues of what family and wealth or possessions should look like in the kingdom of God. And in this section, Jesus talks about divorce, for example. He blesses the little children. You have the story of the rich young ruler who refuses to sell his possessions and follow Jesus. And right before our passage, we have Jesus' promise that all who have truly followed him will receive great and marvelous blessings in the fully realized kingdom that is to come. 
And so note that before we even begin reading the parable, we should expect that it has something to do with relationships and blessings or wealth or possessions. Also note that this parable is bracketed with that uh, with the same phrase, 1930 and 2016. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This also means we should expect this parable to be an illustration of whatever that phrase means. And so this parable is going to tell us something about relationships and possessions, and that whatever it tells us about relationships and possessions will be the right interpretation of the phrase, the last will be first and the first last. Now this parable begins with this uh, ruler of a house, master of a house, going out early in the morning to find workers, and the workers he hires in the morning all agree to do the work for a day's wage. In the third hour, he sees some standing idle, and he hires them. And notice they don't agree on a day's wage, but the master says, whatever is right. Whatever is right, I'll pay you. He does this three more times, all the way up to almost the end of the day, right before the close of the day. And notice what he says when he goes the last time in verse 6. He sees others standing around and asks them uh, why they say, and they say, no one has, has hired us. Then he sends them into the vineyard as well. And so you see this master is more concerned with the needs of the laborers than his own needs. The master isn't hiring them because he is desperate for workers. Verse 6 makes clear. Rather, he hires them because they need the work. We see here then the master's generosity and love towards the men in need of work. And surely this reminds us that Christian God does not need you, but he graciously uses you for his own purposes as his vessel. He graciously knows your needs and brings you into the kingdom and bestows mercy upon you. In verse 8, we learn that evening had, had come, and the master calls his manager to, tells, uh, to tell him to pay the men, starting with the last. Again, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Uh, and now when the manager pays them, he pays them all with the same wage. You get this image of the men who got there at the beginning of the day, kind of watching with bitterness. The 11th hour guys who got there super late, getting paid first and getting paid uh, the same. Maybe they, they were thinking as they were watching that they would be paid more, only to realize they were paid the same. The workers hired first begin to complain and grumble, you see, for they are getting paid the same. And although they worked all day in the hot sun, and these other dudes worked only an hour, they got paid the same. They are complaining, thinking this is unfair, thinking this is evil. And the landowner then replies to one of them. And this is interesting. Why doesn't he reply to all of them? He replies only to one. Oh, we don't want to stretch that too far, but it may mean this, that if your bitterness or anger or resentment towards your master in heaven, if you have bitterness towards him, it must be addressed on an individual level. You can't hide behind others who feel the same or the apparent validity of your complaint. Rather, this is between you and your master, and he will deal with you personally. 
Also, the landowner responds uh, with friend. He calls him friend. It seems to indicate that there's some commonalities between them, they, particularly that they're both invested in the vineyard in the first place. And so the landowner responds not with fierce anger. Notice that. Kind of a different parable. Sometimes we lump this parable in with parables that happen later towards the religious leaders. This one's quite different, as we will see. He's rebuking him more as a father or an elder. He tells the, the worker that he has the freedom to choose to give as he pleases. It's his vineyard. It's his money. It's his choice. This wouldn't be the case if, if he was doing something unjust, would it? In other words, if the landowner gave less than a day's, a day's wage to the early workers, that would be unjust because they agreed on that wage. And notice the early workers aren't arguing that the master is being unjust. They are just annoyed and resentful that he is being gracious, generous, and merciful to others who they don't think deserve it. And this is why he says, Do you begrudge my generosity? Do you begrudge my generosity? A very wooden translation of that would be, Is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? If we were to put that in sort of our everyday speech, it, it could be something like, why are you looking at me funny? Are you looking at me funny because I'm doing the right thing? Why are you looking at me like that? You see, they had resentment towards the landowner. They didn't like his generosity. They felt it was unfair to them. Maybe they were asking themselves, well, why do they get the same as us when we work so much harder and longer? The landowner's comments brings out the foolishness of their question, doesn't it? Why do they get the same as you when you worked harder? Because the guy who hired you has the complete freedom to do what he wants with his own money. He can bless this person the same as he has blessed you. He's not being unfair. Remember, although he blessed them with the day's wage when they didn't work for it, the only reason you got the day's wage is because the master hired you. He chose you to do the work. The master was generous to you. He gave you the job, and now you're going to resent him for being generous with someone else? What a foolish and self-centered attitude. And then to finish the bracket in verse 16, we hear the repeated phrase, the last will be first and the first last. And so how do we understand this parable? How should we understand this parable? How do we interpret it rightly? While it may seem that this parable is about Gentile inclusion into the kingdom of God, that doesn't seem to be the point of this particular parable. In other words, the parable isn't about Jews being angry at God's mercy toward Gentiles. The parable is not saying, at least primarily, it's not saying, hey Jews, don't be like Jonah. It can be taken that way, and even, even if it can be applied that way, that's not Jesus' primary, uh, primary point here in this parable. For one, the context is again about relationships and blessings in the kingdom of God. The parable is dealing with conflict within the body, in other words. It's not dealing with the major shift uh, that was about to happen, the tearing down the wall of division between Jew and Gentile. There's other parables about that, surely, but this doesn't seem to be one of them. Second, in the next chapter, Jesus rides into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, and at that point, his parables take on a more judgment tone. 
And they're heavenly aimed at the religious leaders. In our text, he's speaking to his disciples. And he's teaching them about the kingdom and how to act within the kingdom. And lastly, the landowner doesn't say to the complaining worker, Find them. Instead of your wage, you get thrown into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness. He does that in other parables aimed at the religious leaders. He doesn't do that here, speaking to his disciples. And so, um, we don't see this parable as primarily one about Gentile inclusion and the jealousness of the Jews at that time. Uh, The meaning, uh, then, is God wants his people to be mature, and not to resent him due to our envy towards other brothers and sisters. A, A main thrust of the parable is this, that how should brothers and sisters treat each other in the kingdom of God? And it also serves as a warning. Do not question God's goodness towards your brothers and sisters. Don't question his goodness towards them out of jealousy or envy or bitterness. Should we question God's goodness when it seems that he has blessed a fellow believer more than he has blessed us? The main emphasis then of the parable is don't begrudge God's generosity to fellow workers. For if it wasn't for his generosity, you wouldn't have been hired in the first place. You see, there is no limit on God's generosity to sinners. He's been merciful and generous to you. Expect him to do the same to others. And rejoice in it when he does the same to others. Rather than be filled with resentfulness or bitterness. And so what does it mean when Jesus says the last will be first and the first last? In this context, in this place, it means that all the ones God is merciful to are on equal ground. As we often say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. If God has called someone as they, as he has called you, they are your brother or sister, completely equal with you. One commentator helpfully puts it this way. He says this phrase is very similar to what Isaiah says, that every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill be made low. See, everything's made even in the sense that you are all valued by God in the very same way, even with your different circumstances and blessings. For all of God's people will be ushered into glory and hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And one illustration of this is the Apostle Paul. Notice uh, Jesus in Matthew 19, 28, which, is, uh, which we read this morning, tells his disciples that they will judge with Jesus. And then in this parable, uh, and then he tells in this parable as if to say, that although you are apostles, you will judge with me, the ground is still even at the foot of the cross. I wonder if a parable like this rang in their ears when they are told that the man who was directly responsible for the persecution of Christians, Saul of Tarsus, is now professing faith in Christ Jesus. Think about how easy it would have been for the disciples to resent God for being generous towards the Apostle Paul. The guy who killed our brothers is now our brother and now will inherit eternal life just like me. He should be damned for what he did. God, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Do you not know how hard we worked 
Do you not remember that we are the ones that walked with you? All those years, and this guy was nowhere to be found? What are you doing? Instead, what the early church did, and surely they were a little skittish at first, but what they did was they rejoiced that God was generous towards the Apostle Paul, and they accepted him as a brother in the Lord. So are we going to be resentful towards God's mercy towards others, or rejoice in it? Or rejoice in it? Another example of this um, is my previous pastor, Bob Brubaker, and his wife, Jan, and I asked him if I could tell this story, and he said yes, so just know that. This is with permission. Um, they were trying to have kids for years and years and years and years. They got married right after high school. They wanted kids, uh, but quickly learned that something was, was wrong. They tried and they tried. They prayed and they prayed. Uh, Jan, sadly, had many miscarriages. Uh, years and years went by, and no child ever came. Eventually, they tried adoption. And at the last second, the adoption fell through. And so, uh, once again, they were left confused. They were left sad. But they didn't give up. They tried adoption again. And it fell through another time at the last second. Bob and Jan, at that point, and this is many, many years went by, but at that point, they concluded that God was, it was not in his plan to give them children but rather to sanctify them through all the trials and tribulations. And it's truly been a very difficult, uh, lifelong trial for them, and especially for Jan. And now fast forward, years later, you have a young couple uh, walk in their church in 2013, uh, fresh out of rehab, me and Kathleen, uh, newly married, new Christians, both have done evil things in, in their life. Um, we've probably committed sins that Bob and Jan didn't even know existed. And we're new to the church. And quickly after joining their church over the next eight years, Catalina pops out baby after baby after baby. Boom, back to back. We even go through an adoption during that time, and it goes through relatively smooth. And every step of the way, Bob and Jan said, Praise the Lord. Every step of the way, they rejoiced with us. Every step of the way, they encouraged us. Instead of resenting God and being envious, they rejoiced. And now they're like grandparents to our kids. Uh, Teresa, uh, Catalina's mother, recently uh, went to the Grandparents' Day with, with our kids for the preschool. Uh, but my parents couldn't come up for the grandparents' day for the elementary school kids. And Teresa can't be in two places at once. And so Bob and Jan went to the elementary school kids. And our kids called them Bobpa and Janma. Hopefully you get it. Um, but they are just a great example of rejoicing instead of resenting. Bob and Jan understood that the master has the right to do what he wants with his own money. They understood that there is no limit to God's generosity and that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, even if our blessings look different in the here and now. And so we have three points of application. 
Coveting the brethren, pride and resentfulness. First, coveting the brethren. God's providential blessings differ from person to person, as we just, as was just illustrated. Some of you are single, some of you married, some of you have children, some do not. Some of you are rich, some of you are poor, some of you are in between. Some of you are healthy, and some of you are sick. Some of you have a believing spouse, and some of you have a spouse who walked away. There are all sorts of differences in life circumstances and in the situations that God has put us in, as well as what He has blessed us with. And part of what this parable is doing is teaching us to not be jealous or envious towards our brothers and sisters. Thou shalt not covet, saith the Lord. Some people covet their brother's stuff, their, his brother's wealth, circumstance. Or maybe you covet a brother who hasn't had to go through what you had to go through to get where you are. Maybe another brother had to work less than you to get there, but has received even more, maybe. And just like the grumbling worker, you say, they only worked an hour, God. Look how hard I had to work. How could you? Again, what, what could Jan have said to God? I resent you for giving Catalina all these kids and me none. I've been following you my whole life since I was a little girl. And now this woman has been here for less than a decade. Christian, do not covet the brethren. Guard your hearts. Know that although our lives differ in certain ways, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And all who have followed Jesus will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And not only this, but we know that all things work together. For the good who love God, uh, for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So we should not covet the brother, nor should we be prideful. And this is another warning here for us in the kingdom: is to never let the amount of work that you have done in the vineyard make you think that you are better or more worthy than the new laborers in the vineyard. You are an unworthy worker as well. You're no different than the newcomer. You're no different than your brother or sister. Pride in this regard, thinking you're better than your fellow believer, is like shooting yourself in the foot, isn't it? We are one body. Instead of thinking you're better uh, because of your knowledge or the amount that you've suffered or whatever it may be, lift them up and encourage them. If we put each other down, we ourselves will be put down. A little leaven leavens a whole loaf. If we build each other up, we all get built up, don't we? A house divided against itself will not be able to stand, Jesus said. And so we must build each other up as we see the day drawing near. And also resentment. Do we resent the generosity of God? Or do we rejoice in His goodness? Are we like Jonah? Or are we like the early church who praised God when the Apostle Paul was converted? This is the first and foremost thrust of the parable. A warning against resenting God for his generosity towards others. I like what Calvin said on this passage. He said, Christ only meant to say that everyone who has been called before others should not give themselves the preference above others, but willingly to share with them a common prize. God is not limited to any person, but calls freely whomsoever he pleases and bestows on those who are called whatever reward he thinks fit. God is utterly free, brothers and sisters, to bestow his blessings on whomever he pleases 
whenever he pleases, however he pleases, for whatever reason he pleases. And you don't need to know the reason. You simply need to trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Our generous God knows better than you. And although Jesus teaches clearly that sacrifice reaps rewards and blessings, God is free to give the same blessings to those who did not have, a sacri- have to sacrifice anything, like the thief on the cross, for example. The root of this issue surely is selfishness. You want all the blessings to yourself as if there's only so much of it. But remember, God is an overflowing fountain of goodness and mercy. There is never a limit to his generosity, to his mercy, to his grace. Someone once said, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. My friends, bitterness or resentment is like bloodletting. Eventually you'll run out of blood and you die. And that's what it truly will do to your joy. A bitter person will slowly but surely lose all of their joy until all of it is gone. And friends, God has been generous to you and has a perfect plan and reason for everything that has happened to you and will happen to you. So we must trust that He knows what He is doing and rejoice in His generosity. How He is continuing to spread His his generosity and grace more and more as the day draws near. We have every reason to love one another, our brothers and sisters, and to rejoice in what God is doing in their lives, even if it's different than what He's doing in ours. And you see, if your focus is on, on what God has done for you in Christ, how despite your utter rebellion... Against him, he sent his son into the world to completely and utterly wash away your sins so you can have life in his name. If your focus is on this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to die and save sinners, of which I am the foremost, then the free grace of God given to you in spite of your own unworthiness will lead you to rejoice in his generosity rather than resent his generosity. The ground is level at the foot of of the cross, because all who come are sinners who are completely unworthy of his grace, completely unworthy of the gift of himself, completely unworthy of his mercy. See, the workers who got there early forgot why they were serving in the vineyard in the first place, which is the master graciously chose to hire them and to put them in his vineyard as he has done with all of us. So never forget, Christian, why you belong to the kingdom in the first place. That it's by grace through faith. Not of works, so that no man may boast. Not of works, so that no man may resent. Not of works, so that no man may covet. Not of works, so no man may be filled with pride. See, we ourselves were standing all idle all the day long, headed nowhere. But he picked us up and placed us in his vineyard. That we have the privilege of serving in. So may we never resent him when he brings in other laborers, regardless of how much longer we've been there, regardless of how much more suffering we had to go through than them, regardless of what blessings he bestows on others and not us. So we must ask ourselves, will you continue to resent God for his generosity 
or rejoice in it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your precious word that goes forth. We ask you to dig it deep into our hearts, helping us to live in light of it and to feast upon it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.